Euro 2020 slash 21 underway. I'll stop that in a moment. But uh, we're underway this morning. Italy 3, Turkey zip. Lotti tried to work into a shooting position, but they've done enough. Italy more than enough. They scored three for the first time in the finals of a European Championship. And tonight, to open this European Championship, the delayed Euro 2020, they have strutted their stuff. And their full value for their victory. Yeah, fairly comprehensive victory for the Italians to get underway. Joining us now, Premier League football commentator uh, Jim Proudfoot. You'll hear his voice on the Spark Sport coverage we get here in New Zealand. Jim, uh, thanks so much for joining us on News Talk ZB. That's a pleasure. Nice to speak to you. Well, we've just seen a statement game from Italy. 3-0 over Turkey in the opening game of the competition. I understand it's the biggest margin uh, in an opening game of a Euros in history. What did you make of the Italian performance? I thought they were excellent. They were fantastic. I mean, it's no real surprise coming into the tournament that they were going to do well. They've won eight in a row. They haven't conceded a goal in any of them. Um, but to be able to break Turkey down in the way that they did... Even in the first half where they didn't find a way through, half-time it's 14 chances without reply. Now, that is a huge advantage. And it was only a matter of time that they were going to be able to find a breakthrough. Turkey's defensive record is really good. So I think you can read plenty into the fact that Italy have have beaten them as, as handily as they have tonight. That really does set them up nicely for the entire tournament. As you mentioned, the first half they were were knocking on the door, trying to break it down, couldn't find a way through. At the end of the game, they ended up with, I think, 24 attempts to three. Uh, It was good patience from Italy, just to not get too concerned about the way the first half panned out. Yeah, absolutely. And he made a couple of changes. um, One at half-time where he he took Florenzi off and and, uh, made that change at right-back. But there was the patience. And and Jorginho is fantastic at that. He's had so much experience playing for Chelsea against teams that, that have the ability to set deep, uh, to sit deep against them. And he was still probe and find the passes. And I thought that his performance was absolutely exemplary tonight. Um, it wasn't a masterclass of finishing. And they had a little bit of luck with the manner of the first goal with a, you know, a, a perceptive cross that was turned into his own net by the Turkish defender. But, but nevertheless, I mean, it was a fair result, a more than fair reflection of Italy's advantage and superiority. Do you, does it change your, your opinion on where this tournament play, might play out? Do they move into that, that top favourite tier or did you see them there anyway? Um, I, I don't think it changes an awful lot, primarily because I think that many people anticipated they were going to win the group. Um, and the draw would suggest that they'll get Belgium in the quarterfinals. Um, that is going to be a very difficult game. I think the one thing that will have done them the power of good is they've never scored more than two goals in a match in the European Championships in their history. So to get off to a winning start, Italy traditionally in tournaments can be slow burners and, and takes them a little bit of time to, to find their feet. But the fact that they've got home advantage for the group games and, as I say, um, they're likely to play Belgium, but that performance will give them that bit of self-belief going into a potential game. Now, there's a lot of football got to be played between now and then. We're talking about something that's going to happen in the last eight. We've only seen one game out of 51 so far. But I, I, most people would expect it to pan out that way, that Italy against Belgium will be a quarter-final. That would be some game. I would still fancy Belgium to win it. But I think that whoever does win that particular game has got an outstanding chance of winning the whole thing. A squad, obviously, you're very close to is the the England squad against Croatia. Their first game, 1am Monday morning at New Zealand time. We've seen a lot of those young English players, your Mason Mounts, Phil Foden's take charge. Can Gareth Southgate turn them into an attacking force at, at Euro 2020, do you think? 
I do think so. I mean, England are a better side going forward than they are defensively. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, there are still defensive worries and there's still, which is a, a little bit frustrating in some ways for the England fans, there's uncertainty as to exactly what formation Garrett's going to play. Um, is it going to be a back three? Is it going to be a back four? The, the fitness of Harry Maguire is is absolutely crucial to that in the long term. In the short term, he's very unlikely to play in the game against Croatia. Uh, so it's just a question whether he perhaps brings Ben White in alongside John Stones uh, and plays a back four, or this talk of Walker and Shaw playing as wide centre-halves uh, around John Stones and play with a back three. Now, if he plays with a back three, that means that you're probably going to be one of your premium attacking players light going into the game. That is a concern for England fans. I think most would want to see a back four and would want to see Foden and Mount and Grealish in behind Harry Kane. That seems to be the general consensus of the side that, that England fans want to see. Whether they will get it, I'm not so sure. But um, I, I think that more than most his campaigns, certainly in my lifetime, England are um, a side that has genuine strength in depth and they have genuine attacking quality. And whereas I, I think in many ways they're false favourites to, to win the entire tournament, there's absolutely no reason why they can't make it through to at least the last four. Where do those defensive worries come from? Is it the the you know the, the formation or is it the, the quality of players that they're able to call on at the moment outside your perhaps Maguire's? I know that Walker had a strong season for, for Manchester City. Is it, is it the quality-wise that are, is the concern? I think it's the fact that if if they do play with a back three, that is a formation that is alien to the players that were playing it, mm. to the centre-halves. Um, Walker and Stone's obviously very seldom playing a back three for Manchester City, and, and Luke Shaw has played on the left of three centre-halves on occasion for Manchester United, but not very often. The only player it's really going to suit are the Chelsea wing-backs, if, if it is James and Chilwell in, in that particular formation be suited by it because uh, they they know it very well. But defensively, I think England have a team full of players who are capable of the odd individual error. I don't think that they're a great side defending pace. England may well, particularly in the group stage, have a lot of the ball. So the opposition tactic will be to try and counter-attack with pace at an England back line that doesn't really have an awful lot of it. I'd, I'd certainly take Carl Walker... From, from that criticism because I think that he is still, even in his 30s, deceptively quick. But with Jordan Pickford, we have a fine goalkeeper whose distribution is almost unparalleled for a goalkeeper uh, in this tournament. And yet he too also can have his moments. He's capable of throwing one in. I think it's just the, the cynical England fan <laughs> who's seen it so many times over the over so many years. You're kind of waiting for, for something to blow up in our faces. but. Yeah. You never know, a little bit of luck in running and it, and, it, and it could be a very, very good tournament indeed. It's funny what you say about the cynical English fans because we were, we were playing the um, It's Coming Home Three Lions song in the office yesterday. It's the, you know, self-deprecation, yeah, but the, the realism, the optimism all sort of rolled into one. And as you say, the cynicism as well. Oh, yeah, we do self-deprecation. Don't <laughs> worry about that. We've had enough practice. I mean, that's the thing. And they wrote that wonderful song. It was 30 years of hurt. Well, it's 55 now. It doesn't even scan. That's how far out we are from success. That they, the, the number is so big that they can't even fit it in the song anymore.
It's a few days out now. Uh, Jim Proudfoot with us, football commentator. Uh, you know, looking at the the France Germany game at seven a.m. Wednesday morning, uh, New Zealand time. How crucial might that be in the overall makeup of the tournament? Well, that's some group. That I mean, France, mm. Germany, Portugal, and you've got to feel sorry for Hungary um, because they are cast in in the role of whipping boys in that tournament, and I, I think probably vacation. Germany are a fun team. Um, there's been uncertainty. They've they've written players off. They pulled them back out of retirement after two and a half years. And in, in Muller and Hummels, they still haven't brought Jerome Boateng back. And they can be inconsistent. They were great the other night, sticking seven past Latvia. I commentated in that game, but that's not the kind of test that you ever feel Germany are going to fail. The kind of test they're going to fail are against the pre, are against premium sides who can expose them, and again can expose them pace. That's what France have got. So, um, in answer to your question, how does it mould the tournament? Certainly, very significantly indeed. But I think that most people will expect that France will win that group. And maybe the Germany-Portugal game actually um, might have a a greater bearing on on what goes on. That said, if France don't beat Germany, it's a game-changer. And it's a game-changer for for England. It's a game-changer for other sides because everybody's looking at the draw working out how they can avoid France for as long as possible. So it'll be a great game, there's no doubt about that. It'll be some occasion in Munich, um, and I fancy France to uh, to spoil the party. Just finally, Jim, we know the effect that COVID's had uh, across uh, the world and you know the tournament obviously delayed by a year. What kind of impact is it having on this rescheduled tournament uh, around fans and things like that, obviously masked in stadiums? Uh, is it safe for those, those, those teams to be travelling country to country when they do get around to it? Uh, I have to hope so. Um, that, that's probably the best answer I can give you. It, it would be wrong for me to try and give um, uh, any scientific prognosis. But obviously, I mean, you've seen my, in my hometown at the moment, the test match is going on mm. uh, in Birmingham, 15,000 in, and um, they're, they're not socially distanced. You have to take tests. You've either got to have had both of your jabs or you have to take a lateral flow test to be able to get in. It's the same with the football. It was a fantastic atmosphere in Rome tonight. I think there's an inevitability that there will be players who will fail tests. We've seen it with Spain's Sergio Busquets. We've seen it with Moscow of Russia, who's had to pull out of their squad today uh, and be replaced, which is uh, horrendous as far as he's concerned. You just hope that the I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of international travel as far as the fans are concerned. That is to the the detriment of the tournament. Um, You just hope that they've got the numbers right with the capacities. I mean, I I obviously know more about what's happening over here at the moment. It's going to be 20,000 for the matches at Wembley. Um, June the 21st is the day that is talked about over here as being when we come out the next phase of of coming out and back towards normality. there are serious question marks over that because of, of what's known over here is the Indian variant of, of COVID, which is that little bit more transmissible uh, and p- potentially a little bit more potent as well. Um, so there are doubts as to exactly how much it's going to be opened up and what the knock-on effect that will have for tendencies at the football. But still hopeful at the moment, still hopeful that Wembley could be full for the final, which is 90,000, which would just be mm. tremendous to see. I mean, the, the, the final footnote to that is how heartening it's been to have seen so much football, um, you know, 
I'm very fortunate. I've been to, to plenty of matches behind closed doors. But to have fans in there, to watch matches on the television where there are fans, to listen on the radio where you have the natural crowd noise as opposed to uh, the ambient fake effects, what a difference it makes. I mean, football is... is, is it's not quite nothing without the supporters, but it's it's not far short. It's just been brilliant to see them back, and and let's hope that, that everybody who is in a position to go to matches can can do so in a safe manner, and that we don't look back at this tournament as being something that had um, such tragic knock-on effects somewhere down the line. Indeed. Well, Jim, really appreciate your time. Enjoy Euro 2021 as it is now, and uh, thanks so much for your time on News Talk ZB here in New Zealand. Well, it's my pleasure. Enjoyment will be solely dependent on England's results, of course. But <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Thank you very much indeed. Call 0800 80 1080. It's Elliot Smith on the DRS. Now on News Talk ZB. Jim Proudfoot on the show, Premier League and football commentator, joining us to discuss uh, their opening game this morning. Also, England's prospects. England fans are. You're the you're a noisy lot, 